You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. Great to be back with you. Um, thank you for tuning into another episode of the Seeking Excellence podcast. And so let's get right into what we're going to talk about today. So today is all about how to survive a slump, how to survive, you know, some of these times where you feel like you lose all momentum in life, where you feel like you're a little bit lost, where you feel, you know, maybe even going through like a little bit of a depressive ad, uh, episode or, you know, things just aren't really going well at work, in your relationship, in um, your fitness and whatever, you know, your spiritual life, right? So there's different approaches and different terms for all of these things, you know, like um, in, in a certain sense, like the way that you might get out of a slump, for example, like I'm in sales, right? The way that I get out of a slump there might be different um, and what I need to do to get out of a slump in my spiritual life, or it might be different than what I need to do to get out of a slump in my fitness. But I think there's some overlying or underlying underlying principles that are very similar and that carry over into all these different areas, right? And what's interesting is oftentimes when you get into a slump, um, or just kind of a downtime, you know, kind of just like a, a lull in, in your life, right? In your momentum, it it usually impacts all these different areas of your life. And so that's how I, I find myself, right? And I think that's what happened to us really. Um, I'm going to really talk to you about how I came out of this kind of last slump, which really was kind of sparked after a huge peak um, after we got married and went on our honeymoon, came back, we were immediately, um, found out that we were pregnant and then kind of went straight into, uh, a decline just a few weeks later, um, when Emily started to miscarry. And so we miscarried the, the baby for those of you who didn't know that. Um, so we had a miscarriage and then, yeah, kind of went from there into just like a really kind of low point in, in May and June, we were kind of really struggling, had back to back weekends of getting really excited of houses. We house hunting and just kind of, um, yeah, was just kind of in a low point in all these different areas through the miscarriage and the honeymoon, obviously that had really letting ourselves go, uh, physically, which is kind of like not exercising, not eating well. Um, and then that carried into, you know, just kind of spiritually really struggling with, with God, obviously, as you're going through something like that and you're grieving, it's always difficult, you know, in your relationship with God. And then, um, yeah, professionally, I had, I mean, I had zero sales in May, zero, like zero sales in May, um, which is obviously not a great number, right? 
um, led to a pretty tough uh, kind of performance review after that. And then, yeah, I'm trying to think what else, man. I mean, like financially, like wasn't really budgeting. It just spent a ton of money on the wedding. Uh, <laughs> literally like everything I was just sucking, right? Just like really going through it and just like super struggling. And so that happens to all of us. We all find ourselves in these situations, in these circumstances, these seasons in life where you're just taking L's. You're taking L on L on L and things tend to compound. And one thing that I kind of learned when I was in college is that this frequently happens after you have some type of a peak, especially spiritually, right? So I would tell people this all the time when we were finishing up retreats, especially if I was leading, but sometimes even if I was just on the retreat, just trying to give people a warning that whenever you have a true encounter with God, right, whenever you encounter the Lord and you go, you know, make this commitment to want to go deeper into your faith, maybe this commitment to avoid uh, certain sins that have been really holding you back, a commitment to, you know, engaging with more accountability, whether that be through the confessional or with a friend um, or somebody, you know, who you just became friends with on the retreat, Um you always experience serious, serious spiritual attacks right after that, right? So um, those could be attacks of the flesh, from the world, um, from others, uh, from the devil himself. You know, like you're going to experience some attacks that are going to try to bring you back down and draw you back, pull you back down to where you were before and kind of get you to forget that any of this ever happened, right? And so you see it happen. A lot of times that'll happen in concentrated times, right? Like a weekend retreat, you go on Cairo, so you go on uh, some other retreat, you know, and then you come back and you just get attacked, attacked, attacked. Life's full of difficulties and trials, and then you kind of fall away. But it also happens over longer periods of time. You see this when people go and they have these deep conversions in college, right? They go to a Franciscan or Benedictine or Mount St. Mary's. I saw it all the time after we left school where people had this like huge spiritual experience. They're kind of encountering God and they're going deeper in their faith. And then they get out into the world and and it's like you're in this bubble almost um, of protection and like consolation. And then boom, immediately you get kind of driven back down to the ground. So I want to talk about this. Um, like I said, I'm going to talk about some of these underlying principles to help you get out of that, help you work out of this um, phase. And this will have a lot of uh, reference and relevance to mental health. And I want to do an episode that's kind of more short term um, mental health, uh, not hacks, but kind of tips and insights, things that I do whenever I feel like I'm kind of low on mental health or I'm just trying to, uh, you know, make some progress in improving my mental health over a weekend. Right. And just some things that I do on the weekend that really help. But today's going to be kind of more principle-based things. And then I will also want to do an episode eventually where I talk more about uh, consolation and desolation, which are kind of the spiritual aspect of this, of when you're kind of riding the high of, you know, the Holy Spirit and these encounters with God that really feel good and they're emotionally charged and they're very moving and life is good and you're feeling on fire for your faith. Um, and then there's kind of the dark night of the soul, right? That, that St. Ignatius terms uh, desolation, where you don't feel that. It doesn't mean that God is absent, but you're not feeling that as much, right? And so a lot of us kind of chase consolation constantly. It's basically the basis of non-denominational churches. It's just like chasing this consolation all of the time. But when you read about the great saints, and there's a great book, The Dark Night of the Soul, um, and you hear from people like St. Teresa of Calcutta, also known as Mother Teresa, uh, of her like decades of just darkness and not feeling the Lord's presence. You start to see that that's kind of an aspect of spiritual maturity, right? Where you're not just constantly feeling this love. And that also relates greatly into marriage, right? Because marriage, you're not going to constantly have this high. And a lot of people, I think, end up being divorced because they're trained 
And we're trained in life, right, to always pursue fun, always pursue the next high, the next enjoyable thing, um, and not really to appreciate hard work and not to appreciate difficulty and adversity. Um, and that's one of the, the great dangers, obviously, of this kind of emotionally driven Christianity that does just always constantly pursue this next high um, is that when you take that and you apply it to your marriage, that's just a recipe for divorce, right? You're fast tracking your way to divorce. You have to be willing to deal with the dryness and the grind of everyday life and loving your spouse and choosing your spouse, even when you're not feeling that honeymoon high, right? That you did on your wedding day um, or the, you know, the weeks that followed. So, Today we're going to talk about, I have kind of five things written down. I originally titled it three, and then I wrote five things down. So um, we'll see how many get added to the list, but I think we're going to try to stick with with five. Um, but to be fair, two of the five, three of the five actually have kind of slashes and are kind of two in themselves. And so really it's kind of like eight. Um, but let's get started with number one. So when I find myself in, in kind of like I'm depressed, my life just kind of feels like shit and I feel like shit and nothing's going well and I'm just catching L's left and right. Um, one of the first things I have to do is what I call a priority audit. So this is a kind of a time slash priority audit, right? And so what you have to do is take stock of, of your time. How am I using the time that God gives me each and every day? Um, am I really honoring my priorities? Because one of the surefire ways that I've learned in my life that I'm going to feel terrible, unmotivated, and depressed is if my priorities are just utterly out of order, right? So if I'm giving way too much time to work, if I'm giving way too much time to leisure and just effing off and, and watching uh, YouTube or Netflix and, and just sitting on the couch eating snacks, um, if I'm giving too much time to to even like social stuff, right? Like if I'm just going out too much or spending too much time with people and not taking care of my top priorities, which are my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, and then obviously kind of along in that and tied very deeply and interwoven into those two things is taking care of myself, right? And not just taking care of myself with this kind of bullshit, light, fluffy, um, you know, half-assed, uh, like, self-help, self-love kind of thing, but actually developing myself, right? Keeping myself healthy, challenging myself, pushing myself physically so that I can be mentally strong, mentally tough, uh, mentally fit, right? Uh, spiritually taking care of myself so that I can be the best husband that I can be. Because if I'm unholy, I can't be a good husband. That's just the simple fact of it, right? My primary role as a husband is to lead my wife to heaven, and to help her and encourage her on her way to heaven. If I'm unholy, if I'm not headed towards heaven myself, how in the world am I supposed to do that? How the hell am I supposed to help her uh, get to heaven if I am not even getting myself, you know, if I'm not even kind of leading myself? And obviously that's reciprocal, right? She's also supposed to help me get to heaven as best as she can. And so that's not just something that like I'm supposed to be like the savior of the relationship. That's kind of a, it's a two-way street and it's a reciprocal relationship. Um, but if I'm not upholding my end of that, you know, my 100% because it's always viewed in relationships, obviously best when each person takes ownership of their 100% rather than looking at a 50-50 and constantly evaluating if things are fair or not. I have to blank out anything that she's doing and just evaluate on my own. What am I doing with my time? How am I using the time that God gives me? How am I using the resources that God gives me? Um, and, and my priorities that I claim are my priorities, which for me are the seven pillars of excellence, right? Um, 
am I really, am I watering those things? Am I feeding into those things, right? What you feed grows, what you starve dies. And so am I feeding into to, to laziness and, and just being a hoe and sitting on my ass and being lazy? Or am I feeding into excellence? Am I feeding into my reading, into my mind, into my body, into my soul, into my relationships that are most important to me, right? As, as opposed to just kind of giving, um, my life away to all these things that are kind of clamoring for my attention. And so that's one of the first things that I really have to do. And that's what I realized in this last, you know, um, few weeks. And as I've come out of this and, and understand that coming out of the slump, while I hit my low point, kind of like the stock market or crypto, right? Like I bottomed out, I hit the bottom in May, at least the bottom is as far down as I was going to go, right? I'm not saying I hit rock bottom or anything like that because it's not that dramatic, but I was in a pretty low point. But I hit my lowest in May is when I was kind of at my lowest point for this last kind of time. And I think I go through one of these seasons at least once a year, right? I mean, the year before, it had probably been like 16 months since I got into this low, uh, was really during my um, Achilles tear, my Achilles injury. But it happens all the time, right? It can be spurned on by an injury, by a breakup, by just the death of a loved one. There's so many things, right? Sometimes they just happen. But when I hit my lowest point, understand that this was like a two-month period of me coming out of it. And so I was really blessed to go on a retreat in June, which I've mentioned on here before, Um, and then just really started to get after it in different areas and gradually started adding, you know, pillars of excellence, the seven pillars of excellence. So I kind of started, obviously, the first and foremost is in that priority audit is like, I need to go to confession. I need to get my faith back together, right? I need to start doing some prayers in the morning. And it might not be a holy hour every morning. It might not be daily mass every morning, but I need to get up. I need to pray the Angelus and read a little bit of scripture and just take some quiet time in the morning. And and after I, you know, obviously not after you go to confession, if, if you can't go to confession for a week, but ideally going to confession first, because that's what's going to remove these bonds and chains and these walls that are built by sin so that you can actually start to experience the grace. Because I can tell you, that one of the best ways to prevent yourself from experiencing any consolation that's going to greatly help you get out of this slump is to be in a, a, a state of mortal sin, right? Like if you're in a state of mortal sin, then you're you're automatically basically committing, like cutting yourself off from uh, the chance of, of experiencing any consolation that's going to really help you in those graces you need to get out of this slump. So doing that priority audit and then understand that this is going to be a journey, right? Like stop expecting this kind of just immediate turnaround that you're going to just automatically feel better tomorrow. That's often what people sell you and that's often what the world talks about, but it takes a long time to get your ish together, right? So Give yourself some time, but do this priority audit. Think about it in your life. What are the most important things to you? What are your most important relationships? Are you feeding into those? Um, and, and if not, what is preventing you from doing that? So getting to the root of the matter is one of the most important things you can do to really kind of get down and say, okay, what what is it that that I'm not doing that I know I need to be doing? And what am I doing that I know I don't need to be doing, right? So thinking about that. Kind of along with that is number two, is boundaries and expectation management, right? So setting boundaries with people in your life can be exceptionally difficult. It can be hard with your spouse. It can be hard with your friends. It can be hard with your, your um, work. It can be hard with organizations and people you volunteer with, right? But when you set these boundaries in your life, it allows you to really kind of hone in and and do the things that you need to do, right? You only have so much time in the day. And so sometimes you even need to set boundaries with yourself, right? So set limitations on how much you can use video games or your social media or your phone in general or um, 
watch TV, right? Like setting these limits and these boundaries on yourself are what's going to allow you to take that info that you gather and you gain from your priority audit and your timing audit and say, okay, I, I it, it always you always feel busy, right? Even when you're not being productive. And so this busyness gives you this facade that's like, well, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to like, if, if you want to have any shot of living a life of excellence, I need you to cut that shit out immediately, right? This, I don't have time. We do not say that. So we're, I'm trying to really drill it in and really try to move more towards really having this podcast be a place of forming people for living a life of excellence. And so I want us to develop a culture of those of those of you who consistently listen to the podcast. The goal of this you know, ministry is to really push this life and this philosophy of excellence. And so I need to really be a little bit sharper. I need to be a little bit harder, a little bit more defined of what is and what is not in alignment with a life of excellence. And saying, I don't have time to X when X is something that is worthwhile, good, and necessary is not something that we do. And so you just need to cut that out immediately. You are choosing to prioritize other things over X. That's what you need to be saying, right? This is a very difficult shift for a lot of people to make. I hear a lot of Catholics doing it all the time. I hear a lot of Christians, a lot of good people who will say, you know, I just don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to. And it's like, dude, we have so much time in the day. Even though it doesn't feel like it, there is so much time in the day. And what you're not doing is you're not putting proper boundaries and limits on what you need to, uh, on, on the different things that are happening, right? So I can say, even if I'm in a time of of difficulty or kind of like our peak season, like we have been over the summer with sales. So um, I've sold as much, you know, in the month of August as I did the first seven months of the year, right? So really kicked it up. But I've still had to kind of put limits and say, okay, I work from this time to this time with certain exceptions, right? I'm willing to check in on emails, send quotes, do things that I need to do after that. But generally speaking, I'm calling it at a certain time. And if I um, don't do that, then I need to uh, be willing to make up for that time uh, with other things later. So ex- for example, if there's a day where I have to work really hard or if I have to travel, right, and work extra hours, then I'm okay saying, okay, but on Thursday and when I get back Wednesday night, Thursday morning, I'm going to daily mass and I'm starting work a little bit later. Or if I'm traveling for work, which I had to in July, I get back and I say, okay, I'm doing a half day on Monday because I'm having Emily uh, go into work late and we're both going to go into work late and we're going to spend the morning together and we're going to go and get breakfast uh, somewhere and we're going to catch up and we're going to talk because that's what's needed, right? So even though it might be difficult, there's emails waiting. I'm already in mountain time, so I'm behind, right, on when my day starts, I have, you know, people on my team who work in Eastern time and Central time. I'm the last one to get up, right? Because it's just, I wake up at 6.15 in the morning, it's 8.15, uh, you know, in New York. So I'm already behind every time when I wake up. But I recognize that while my work is important, my marriage is more important. And so I'm not going to get started off, even though the 20s are, are your grind years and you have to get after it. There's there's a limit on that, right? There's a limit on I'm not going to end up divorced. I'm not going to be a, a great salesman and a bad husband. That that just doesn't make any sense to me. That's the dumbest thing in the world, right? Um, so I'm not going to do that. So then I have to have these limitations and these boundaries that say, okay, I will give you X amount of hours, you know, finding what is just and what is right to say, okay, I, I want my company to succeed. I want my work to grow. I want to succeed in my role. I want to be excellent in my profession. I'm not telling you to settle for mediocrity in your profession, but at the same time, you can't do that at the the risk of 
of losing your vocation, right? You can't sacrifice your big V vocation, your marriage or your um, religious life for your little V vocation, which might be teaching or selling or um, any type of job that you have, right? Any career that you have. If you do that, then you're a failure. And so I don't want to be a failure. So this is some basic math, right? But putting those boundaries and expectation management in place is really important. So what does this look like? And I'm using work as an example for this, but I'll give another example in a second. What does this look like at work? It means that I have to be uh, mature about this and, and set those expectations with my boss and coworkers. And so I have to tell them, hey, you know, I've been working really hard this week or I've been, you know, out of town and traveling and doing whatever. And I'm going to uh, take a half day on Friday or um, just so you know, like going back now, I'm going to really grind and, and crush it, you know, from this hour to this hour each day. Um, and I'll be checking my emails in the evening once and and, you know, maybe checking emails on Saturday mornings briefly. Um, but I am going to spend this day with my wife. I am going to take my wife's birthday off. I am going to, you know, take off a half day when we get possession of the house so we can unpack and, and feel settled because that's really important to my spouse. That kind of stuff is what you do, right? You don't just be childish. Don't just be a hoe about it and, and try to just like start pulling back. Make those, have that awkward conversation and tell your boss who might want more and more of your time, hey, I appreciate, you know, being to, being able to work here. I love my job. I love what we do. I'm not going to sacrifice it for my spouse. And one thing that you don't realize sometimes is even though that might be frustrating or might piss your boss off, and this goes for everything I'm going to talk about, all the examples I could possibly bring up for setting boundaries, even though it might piss the person off who you're drawing this line, right? You're putting up a fence and a limit. They, It, it might be good for them, right? They might need to see this. If your boss is a workaholic, who's who's avoiding certain things in their life and their personal life they might need to see you do that and say wow this person's still doing well at their work even though they're also doing really well in their marriage and they're also really engaged in their family life people need that the company culture needs that so you need to set that example the same thing goes with your personal life right so this might be like me saying okay you know emily i feel like i'm super out of shape and i I don't hate myself when I'm out of shape, but I don't love myself when I'm out of shape, right? I know some people in the in the church world, we get so soft on talking about um, the the benefits of loving your body, of liking what you see, looking back at you in the mirror. But it's it's incredibly fruitful. Like, it's just so beneficial. Like, the, the level of confidence that you can get, um, and not pride, and not arrogance, not vanity, but just like the pride of looking at what you've built— and being like, wow, I am good. I can do good things. I am disciplined. I am strong. I am resilient. I am tough. That's It's exceptionally good for men, but it's good for all of us to be able to look in the mirror and like what we see um, naked, right? That's your rawest form of yourself. When you can look at your, I just saw a video of this. I can't remember the dude's name who was talking about this, but he's like, when you look at yourself naked in the mirror and you like what you see, he's like, that's like the rawest form of yourself, right? Now you can cover up uh, what he's lacking, obviously, is the the spirituality side of that, right? There's still something beyond that, that you can look great in the mirror and be a, an asshole, and you're not going to love yourself, right? Like, ultimately, you're going to look and be like, wow, like, I'm still a fraud. So, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't cover up all things, but it's still, I mean, if you can have a great soul, a great heart, a great mind, and like what you look, uh, like what you see in the mirror when you're naked, that's a pretty good life, right? I mean, it's hard to think of being more confident, more grounded, more set than that. And so I think that, uh, you know, we can really underestimate the impact that that can have on your life and your mental health um, and your personal image, right? The way that you see your self-image. And so 
I might have to say, okay, I know this is going to be tough because I have to grind at work. I feel like the Lord's calling me to do seeking excellence and I need to get back into shape. And so the only time I can get back into shape is I have to take time from our time together in the evenings or from our time together in the mornings, right? These are my two options. I can either work out before work or after work. Um, and so what am I going to do here? And so it's like, okay, I have to, um, and this is another kind of like limit that you have to set with work, right? Because if I say, all right, I'm going to go to the gym at, at 4.30, I'm going to work from 8 to 4.30 every day. 4.30, I leave for the gym. I get there around 4.45. I work out from about 5 to 5.45, and then I'm home around 6, right? And then it's like, hey, you know, we have this conversation. So this is why we have our weekly board meetings, and we say, okay, you know, what what do you feel like is fair? What can we agree on that you'll feel like is fair when it comes to how many times you want me to cook dinner each week? Or if you make dinner, how about I do the dishes? Um, and then if we both go to the gym, we just accept that we have to get home and make dinner together. And we're going to eat a little bit later, but that's okay, right? And we're going to um, get that quality time in at the gym together and then go home, you know, eat dinner, maybe walk the dog, and then relax and either watch TV, read together, whatever it might be. Pray the rosary, you know, do something like that. But that expectation management is what makes the difference, right? When you can agree upon something ahead of time and say, okay, to the other person, does this feel fair to you? And they agree to it. Then you can still reevaluate, right? Don't be an ass and say a month later, be like, you agreed to this. It's like, dude, I can still come back a month later and be like, all right, we had agreed upon this. What do you think? Like, how's it been? What are you feeling so far? Like, is this kind of working out? And you can take that evaluation, you can have an honest conversation, and you can say, all right, you know, this is working, this is not working, whatever. Um, but that's how you can kind of set that, that expectation and manage those things within your relationship. So let's move on to number three. So number three, I think one of the big things that flows from that, these go together really well, even though I'm kind of going number one, four, three, and then I'll do... Uh, the last two, I'm kind of going super out of order, but this is kind of flowing nicely, is uh, you have to remove excuses. So you can see here, as you kind of start to, to learn about these things, um, this one especially, I think, is uh, contrary to a lot of the self-help, self-love, mental health stuff that we talk about today. But I did kind of already touch on this when talking about the need to stop saying, I don't have time for um, and start saying, I am prioritizing Netflix over my fitness. I am prioritizing sleep over my spiritual life. I am prioritizing um, friendships over my reading and learning, right? Um, my mental excellence. And so I kind of touched on this, but I think you have to remove excuses and start to, this kind of combination with the next one, but start to look at people who can help you to remove those excuses, right? So I think I kind of reflected on this the other day at the gym but one of my favorite things about podcasts is you hear from people who have stories dangerously similar to yours, and they make you feel kind of like crap every now and then, right? Because it's like, wow, if that person who came from this background, right? Um, I think of this, especially when I think of Bigger Pockets, right? I love the Bigger Pockets podcast, which is a real estate investing podcast, where they interview people whose journeys. Uh, who, when, who talk about their journey, right? And they'll talk about going from being a police officer or being um, in the military or being a school teacher or whatever, right? Like a lot of times, like not making a lot of money to having like millions and millions of dollars in real estate. 
And I love hearing those stories because I think it's really inspiring to hear how people went from zero to wherever they are, right? Or even from five or 10 to wherever they are. And what it does is it, re- it gives you the practical tips to see, wow, you can see the path, right? So when, and it's like being on a video journey of, of somebody taking the path to where you may want to be in life. And what you see from that is people will start to remove excuses because they'll say, yeah, I started, uh, you know, or, or you listen to, I've listened to this uh, Gary Vee book that I've listened to before crushing it. And, um, Every other like bit where he talks, because it's an audiobook, and so every other bit they'll have like a story of like how I'm crushing it, and it'll be like this profile of somebody who's doing great, right, and has used these tips and these principles for social media to build their business and their brand. And when you hear these stories of people who have four kids, are single parents, are uh, you know have to take care of their mother or whatever, like have these like extreme circumstances, right, where life is very difficult. And they still crush it. You're like, what? How do I make the excuse that just because I'm newly married, or I'm job hunt, or not job hunting, I was house hunting, or I'm you know doing all these different things? Like, how how can I make these excuses to not do it when they've done it? Right? Like it's been done before. You only ever need if you're somebody who seeks excellence in your life. You only need one other person to have done what you want to do in order for you to feel like it's definitely possible. Right? Like you don't need to see. A million people doing it. You just need a few, you know, one to a couple people um, who have done what you're trying to do that you can say, okay, I can go out, I can do this, right? And I can do it in my own way. I can do it in the way the Lord's calling me to do it. But that's all you need to see, right? So like all these people have fear of commitment and marriage and stuff like that. You're committed to mediocrity if you need to see a hundred couples who have great holy marriages. I, I know Catholics who are like that, who have been dating people for two years and they're 27 years old. And it's like, you don't need to see a dozen. Like I, I was very inspired coming out here to Denver um, and met several like really good Catholic couples. And I was like, we can do that. Right. Like I didn't need to see a dozen of them. I, I saw like there's two families that come to mind every time I talk about this. Um, and they're absolutely amazing. And we were blessed to have them both at our weddings. And I met them through Emily's family. And I just absolutely love them and adore them. And I'm like, we can do, like, we can do that, <laughs> right? Like I don't, and it's like by the grace of God, right? Through a lot of hard work, but we can do it. Like it, it's achievable. And so you have to remove these excuses and you have to listen and find and seek out these stories via YouTube and podcasts and books where you, you read about great men and women who have dared to do great things in their life and they've achieved it. And that removes excuses from you because we just live in a world where um, there's like, there's so much commitment to being a victim, right? It's like this constant competition of how can I be a greater victim? Um, and you're a victim to your circumstances. You're a victim to all these things. And one of the things you're the greatest victim to is your own mind and the own limitations that you put on yourself, right? And so stop that. Stop stop putting these limitations and these things on yourself that are really just extremely damaging and are holding you back when you can just remove those excuses and strive to be an inspiration for somebody else, right? So I always, you know, point back to when Eric Thomas talks about this in this uh, great video, you should YouTube it. I'll put it in the show notes. You owe you um, by Eric Thomas. I love this one. And he's like, you owe you to be the best version of yourself. And he's like, racism might exist. Um, I might have grown up. Uh, I was homeless at one point. I might have come from a broken family. And he talks about all the things that he went through. And he's like, but it ultimately doesn't matter, right? And that's the breakthrough that we all need to have. I remember telling kids this when we were in college, right? Especially fellow black students who were going through it or struggling or whatever. And I'm just like, we we are here now, right? Like we are in 
the United States of America. We are at college. Like we have the ability to be just as successful as anybody else who's here. It doesn't matter that you didn't have a dad growing up. It doesn't matter that you come from a broken family or that you've whatever. Like it does. Like just let it go. It's time to move on now. It's time to accept where we're at and to make the most of the situation that we have. So. Part of that, the second part of removing excuses is stop blaming other people. So this is a thing that's really easy that almost all of us fall into. So going back to those two examples that I just gave, right, with work um, cramping down on your relationship and your relationship cramping down on your fitness or your reading or whatever it might be, or your prayer life, your spiritual life. And my relationship wasn't, but it, it's easy to to blame, right? So I can sit there and say, well, Emily wants to spend so much time together and I'm just so busy with work that like I can't go to the gym. Bullshit. Um, or I, you know, I want to spend time with my spouse. And I want to be a better husband. And I want to serve and I want to do holidays better and birthdays better. And I want to be more engaged with my friends and I want to be more engaged in my spiritual life. But my boss, man, they're just really riding me and making me work so much. No, stop. Like, stop it. One of the main things you have to do is stop blaming other people. When you blame other people for your problems, you're giving them responsibility, not just responsibility for your life, because you can't actually abdicate responsibility for your life, but you are giving them control over your life, right? And so when you give people control of your life, you're, you're basically just giving what comes of your life, what your outcomes are over to them. And they might not have your best interest at heart. And they're actually not even actually, you know, fully controlling your life. Um, but you're giving them the reins and they're part-time managing your life when you're supposed to be full-time owning everything that that is your life, right? Making something beautiful to give back to God. And so you have to stop blaming others. You have to stop making excuses for um, you know, why you're not who you want to be, why you're not where you want to be in life. And so evaluate that. That's, this kind of comes down with your priority and your time on it. When you do that, you'll truly start to see how you are making decisions. You are either condoning behavior that is toxic or manipulative or, you know, dominating your life in ways that it shouldn't be, um, or you're actively encouraging it. And so you need to start to figure out how you can place some boundaries around those things um, so that you don't blame other people. And you can actually have these conversations because a lot of times when you have that open conversation with your spouse, they're like, yeah, I want you to be feeling good and want you to be fit and, you know, want you to be all of these things. And so I support that. And let's figure out a way that we can make that plan happen. Unless you married some jackass that might be controlling and manipulative and not be that way, in which case you should still do the things that you know you need to do. But it's just going to be difficult and more difficult getting there. Um, just because you might be married to a jackass or you might be, you know, friends with a manipulative person or you might be the son or daughter of a manipulative person, of a narcissist, it doesn't mean you don't set boundaries, right? So that's just another excuse where you say, yeah, this sounds nice, but I can't do it with my spouse. Yes, you can. You just might need more courage or you might need more strength or you might need more discipline in order to do it. But it doesn't mean you can't do it. Get out of saying the word, I can't do things. Um, the next one we're going to talk about is surrounding yourself with winners. So this can be uh, another one that sounds a little bit judgmental, um, a little bit harsh. But there are losers in the world. Um, and there's people who are just committed to losing. And that's their prerogative, right? They have the freedom to do that. Um but I don't really necessarily mean this in a way of winners versus losers, um, even though I do think that those two things kind of exist. What I mean by this is surrounding yourself with people who challenge you to be your best. And the example that comes up with to the, in 
in this is not something that I think you're going to think of. I'm not going to just harp on you of the classic, you know, words from St. Paul that bad company ruins good character, um, which is true, right? And you need to have good friends and you need to have a good spouse or dating uh, good people or whatever. Um, there's two things that really come to mind with this. Uh, I just had a second example come to mind. But the first one, when I think of surrounding myself with winners that really motivated me recently was we started going to a new gym. And um, Emily and I both signed up for the same gym where before she was going to Orange Theory, I was going to the Jewish Community Center. And I loved the JCC. But the one thing I didn't love about it was it was a majority, not always, but there was a lot of old people that worked out there, which is fine. But I needed a switch. And Emily went to this new gym that we go to. Um, and was kind of intimidated at first. And she was like, I'm intimidated. There's a lot of meatheads here and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm going to love this place. Right. So <laughs> I went for my first time a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago today, actually. Um, and just loved it. Huge fan. Right. And I love being in places where there's guys and, and women, but dudes who are deadlifting and benching. And I mean, like dudes are swole, they're in shape, they're fit. I mean, you have CrossFitters, you got meatheads, you got everything, right? Bodybuilders, whatever. Like, that's where I want to be. I want to be somewhere where I can see people who are, you know, in shape the way I want to be in shape. And I can work out alongside them, even if not with them. But just the energy in that gym is different than it is a Jewish community center. In a similar way. If you're struggling spiritually and you're going to some lukewarm, woke-ass church, parish in your area, when there's strong, good parishes, maybe even just for a time, when you're trying to get out of this slump, you might need to start going to the other parish, right? And so that's why I love Our Lady of Lourdes here in Denver, where we go and people are participating in the Mass. It's always a beautiful, beautiful, reverent Novus Ordo Mass. Um, but even kind of coming out of the slump, I go to daily Masses um, at Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And I, I have gone to Latin Mass, I think, every week for the last, like, three weeks. At least once, right? Uh, daily. Uh, for a daily Mass, for a low Mass. And I love it. And I love that I go there and people are praying the rosary. I know these people are about this life, right? I know these, these people have gone to confession most likely in the last year, as the church tells us we need to do, right? So it, it doesn't mean, it doesn't have to necessarily even be my friends, right? Even though I do try to surround myself with good people in that way. But I just want to work out in the gyms where people are fit. I want to go to the Masses and the parishes where people are on fire. That's what allows me to go out and have great conversations in the airport and and um, with my family and friends that aren't practicing their faith or are, you know, super progressive or whatever it might be. That's what allows me to do that, right? Because I'm fed, I'm filled, I'm on fire, and I'm trained and I'm formed to go out and be a great missionary disciple. And so surrounding yourself with winners in that way. The other way is, is kind of cutting yourself off from negative influences. So I had a family member who after the wedding, um, I was just kind of like really kind of bothered by. Um, and was not, uh, I just kind of needed some distance from, right. And I knew that kind of going out of, out of the wedding, right. Starting this new adventure, starting this new vocation as a husband that I needed to surround myself as best as I could with positive influences on my masculinity, on my marriage, on my husband, uh, my role as a husband. I needed to really try to cut myself off or protect myself and isolate myself from those influences who are not that. And so I, I had to do that, right? And so there's times where I have to step away from family, step away from friends to pull back to say, okay, I can't allow my love for this person or my desire to have a relationship with this person um, lead me into failing in my vocation, lead me into failing my mission in life, right? Because nothing, nothing is worth failing in your mission in life. 
And so I had to kind of accept that and I had to evaluate and take stock of that and say, okay, I'm not willing to do this. I'm not willing to sacrifice my marriage, my relationship with Emily, my, um, you know, my role as a father uh, for letting this negative influence remain in my life. Um, and it doesn't have to be forever, but it can be for a time, right? And you step away and you kind of get things together and then you kind of come back and you say, okay, now I think I can kind of gradually start adding this person back to my life. So those are kind of the two big things with that. The last, the last um, thing that I think always helps me to get out of a slump is having some bit of accountability. And so this comes in, in many forms for me. It comes in the confessional. It comes with, you can seek out spiritual direction. You can have accountability with a counselor or a therapist. Um, one of my big ways is accountability with my spouse. And so making sure that we have our weekly meetings and our board, what we call our board meetings, where we stick to our goals for the week and we sit down and we have to commit or admit to each other that we failed in whatever, you know, we set out to do that week. Um, it can come with good friends. It can come with, uh, people at work, friends at work that say, okay, you know, one thing we started doing at work that was really helpful for me was we have a daily task tracker where we track how many calls we made, how many emails we made, how many sales we made, all that kind of stuff. Like I love seeing that. I want to be exposed, right? I want to be transparent and clear. I want to, you know, post my weight on Instagram. So people know if I'm sticking to my commitments or not. And, and, uh, you know, post when I go to the gym and things like that so that people can be inspired one to, to want to do the same, but two, it helps to just keep me accountable. Right. And so if it helps me to keep accountable, then I can inspire other people to, you know, hold themselves accountable or find accountability partners, but don't, don't just do it yourself. Right. Like have in, in each of these areas, right. You need to have some type of accountability. So I can think of in my own life in, in certain areas where I'm lacking in accountability and those areas are always where I'm struggling the most, right? And so that's what you need to find and you have to seek it out and you have to be intentional about trying to find that because otherwise you're just going to stay in this slump forever. So I hope that, you know, this is this is one that I would really encourage you to come back to, um, you know, kind of save away if you can it, it, when you are in that slump in the future, right? Because maybe right now you're not in one. But if you're not, you probably know somebody who is. And if you're not right now, you're going to be eventually, right? And so that's part of the Christian journey of recognizing that suffering is to come, right? We are going to suffer. We are going to experience hardship. And so it's extremely important for us to recognize that, um, you know, these difficulties, this hardship that we face, it is it is going to happen. It is going to come. It's going to impact all of us. And we don't know what kind of hardships and things other people might be going through. And so I want to encourage you to be mindful of that. Be mindful of the way that um, people are hurting, the ways that people are struggling, um, and, and be that example for them. Be that person that sets the boundaries so that they can see what right looks like. Be the person that's willing to set the boundaries so that they can see you pursuing a life of excellence, and they'll come to you and they'll say, wow, what is different about you? What is, you know, what is so special about the way you live your life? Why are you so joyful? Why are you so passionate? Why are you so motivated? Because what I've seen in myself is that the lie is that if I'm in this slump, I need to take, I need to cut back. I need to give myself rest, right? I need to, I need to grieve. I need to deal with this. I need to process. I'm just going through a lot, right? That can be true, but you have to put a limit on your grieving. You have to put a time limit on your, your rest, right? And, and if you're resting with the anxiety, whether it's at the surface or it's buried deep of you knowing you're not getting your stuff done, you're not actually resting, and so have that tough love with yourself. Have that hard conversation that says, you know, 
I want to rest. I want to relax, but I have stuff I need to get done. And if I don't get take care of this, I'm not really resting because I'm just anxious and worried and I can't even sleep at night because I'm so worried about things that I need to do. And so get your life in order. Take your weekends, your free time, your downtime. You don't need to binge watch Netflix. You don't need to watch movies every night. You don't need to go out drinking or or spend time with friends where you're just bullshitting and not doing anything worthwhile. Um, There's a place for that. There's time for that. But you have to have limits and set the right um, expectations for yourself and for others of what your life is going to look like if you're going to truly thrive and be passionate. Because when I start to fill my life more and more with these good things, with doing podcasts, which I love, with going to the gym, which I love, with going to adoration and daily mass, that's when I'm on fire, right? Not when I'm just pouring myself only into my work or only into my reading or only into my ministry even. Um, you have to have this balanced approach and or only into my relationship. You know, there's times where I can spend too much time with Emily, right? Like I wouldn't want a honeymoon forever. Like we wanted to come back. I wanted to get after it again. I was ready to get back into the gym, ready to get back into all these different things and the house hunting. And so Find your next adventure, get your life in order, evaluate your priorities, and you'll see a radical change in your life, in your happiness, in your fulfillment, and the way you interact with others. So thank you for listening to today's episode. I really appreciate it. It was great having uh, having your ear, having the opportunity to share some of these lessons with you that I've learned. And I want to share uh, a mission with you. A friend of mine, Daniela, had shared with me um, that she started a volunteer project with Mary Mary's Meals. And so if you remember back in Lent, um, Hallow actually had a partnership with Mary's Meals. And um, it's a great organization. So they help to feed and educate children around the world. It's a fruit of Our Lady of Medjugorje, uh, which is a Marian apparition, and linked um, very deeply with with education as well. And so if you haven't... um, heard about this. I have links in the bio to, or in in the description to learn more about Mary's Meals. But I want to encourage you that you can make a tax deductible donation of $21 a year, only $21, that will help these little souls to get food and a solid education. I do not get anything back from this. This is just a kind of a promo that I want to do. Like I said, um, previous episodes, I want to start doing kind of promos to promote organizations. I promote tithing in general. And so I want to encourage us to be generous um, and want to highlight good organizations that you can give to. And so you can make a small sacrifice to feed five or 10 kids for 105 or $205. Um, And if you decide to support um, Mary's Meals, I want to encourage you to go to this link that I'm going to give you. That is Daniela's link. Um, She's a total volunteer as well. Um, She actually works for Catholic Vote and does great work for them. Um, But you can use this and go to the total bottom of the page, scroll all the way down to the donate button. Don't click that donate button in the top right, but actually go down to the bottom and find that, uh, not all the way down to the bottom, but there's kind of the... um, the fields where you'll see to fill out how much money you want to give and you can go in there and kind of make that donation. So I want to encourage you. I, I gave a little bit. It doesn't have to be a ton, right? You can give $20, you can give $21 as she suggests. Um, you can give $50, you can give $100, whatever you're feeling. Um, but I encourage you, you know, to, um, if you are somebody who, you know, I always feel like me, when I hit different commissions or bonuses or I get paid for speaking engagements, whatever. I'm like, I know I owe God somewhere in here for, for my tithing, right. To get to that, that 10%. And so, um, I love these little kind of random opportunities and good missions. Um, 
there are great Catholic organizations that are doing good work in the world. You know, we often hear that we're pro-lifers and we don't care about people after they're born. You know that that's not true. I know that that's not true. And we prove it by supporting things like this um, is one of the many ways that we can support it. Uh, if you can't actively go out and do these corporate works of mercy, like feeding the hungry, it's great to support the people who do. Um, it's one of the ways that we can kind of participate in these, um, you know, holy acts of generosity and service. So, that's all for that. Uh, as far as the podcast goes, if you would leave us a review, that would be huge. If you learned something from today, leave that in the review. What did you learn about? Um, share this episode on your social media or share it with a friend or two. It does a lot for us um, here at Seeking Excellence. So please share it uh, with somebody if it, you thought it was valuable. If you didn't think it was valuable, definitely don't share it. I, I don't want you sharing something you thought was trash. Um, and I encourage you to subscribe. Subscribe to us on YouTube. This video is also going to be on YouTube. If you want to see uh, my face while I talk to you, we're going to start posting more and more podcasts podcast on YouTube and be more engaged on there as well. And so more video content will be flowing. Seeking Excellence, we're up and running. We got a lot of momentum right now. I'm really excited. Excited to have you on the team and excited that you're passionate and, and excited and hopeful to, to live a life of excellence. So know of our prayers for you. May God bless you and continue to fight hard to be your best. God bless.